0: Good morning. morning. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ at Princeton Theological Seminary. Many of whom wanted me to say, "Peter, we miss you," but we're very proud of you and very excited for you and the Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church in your future together. It's a delight to be here uh, once again. I trying to remember how many times I've been uh, with this congregation during the 10 years I have served at the seminary. It's at least four, I think, which Matthew, in some states, uh, qualifies me as a uh, kind of a common law member of the church, (laughs) I I think. I'm going to claim that. It's a delight to be here with my wife, Dawn, uh, who also has joined me in uh, having uh, this congregation make its way deep into our hearts, and we are grateful for the opportunity we've had to be with you for a few days and to be um, a part of this congregation's deliberation uh, this fall about what does it mean to belong to God and to each other and to things that make a great difference in life. I have really enjoyed uh, the opportunity I've had online to watch Matthew's last four sermons in which he introduced us to the concept of what it means to be the beloved of God. and What it means to find ourselves in the hands of Jesus who also makes us the beloved of God and who like the bread Jesus was holding, takes us and blesses us, and breaks us, giving our lives suffering eternal significance. But now today we come to what does it mean that after doing all of this, Jesus then gives us. So we come to our text today, Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but uh, five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all who ate were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, once again, this morning we gather into this holy place to put our lives in front of your holy word, asking that you'll do what only your spirit can do, which is to use your word to transform us, change us closer into the very image of the beloved, the God with us, in whose name we pray. Amen. It had been a demanding time for Jesus and the disciples. There had been day after day filled with exhausting ministry, teaching, healing the sick, casting out demons. There had been so many relentless arguments with the Pharisees. There had been those terrifying storms at sea when the disciples thought they were going to lose their lives. Then there was the discouragement of Jesus' own failure in ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. And then they just received the heartbreaking, devastating news that John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. That's when our text begins today. When Jesus heard this, when Jesus heard that John had been killed, he got into a boat by himself and he sailed away to find a deserted place. Have you ever been in this condition in your life where you are exhausted, spent, maybe even heartbroken with grief. And all that you want is just to get away to a deserted place to finally be alone. That's where we find Jesus when the text begins. But the very next verse says that as soon as his boat hit the shore on the other side of the lake, he was greeted by a large crowd. The same people that he left saw him sail away and so they spent the night walking around the lake and they greeted him when he arrived on the next shore. 5,000 people were told, just counting the men. And I would imagine that when Jesus saw all of the crowd again, this exhausted, tired Jesus hung his head and maybe he shook it back and forth. I imagine that. But what I know is that the text tells us he was filled with compassion for the crowd. So he picked his head back up. And once again, he launched into another day of ministry, healing the sick as they brought them to him one after another after another. This went on all day long until the evening came. Then the disciples came up to Jesus and said, the day is, is spent and this is a deserted place. So send the people away that they might go and find food in the villages for themselves. Now I don't know where the disciples put the emphasis on that sentence, but I'm betting they put it at the end. As if to say, send the people away so they can get food for themselves. As if to indicate We are exhausted like you, Jesus. We are spent. We have done so much for the crowd over and over and over again. Surely they can go to the villages and get something to eat for themselves. Surely they can take responsibility here, at least for this. Or to use our contemporary language, we would say, Jesus, we don't want to enable their dependency Surely they can at least get their own dinner tonight. But Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Don't send them away. You give them something to eat. And this time it's the disciples' heads that fall. And they said, we, we only have five loaves and two fish. Now I got to tell you, that strikes me as a very specific inventory of their resources. <laughs> I think one of these disciples kind of knew how this conversation with Jesus was probably going to go. And to make the point that disciple went around with the clipboard and added up the resources and was able to say to Jesus oh, over 5 over 5000 hungry people out there and let's see we've got five loaves and two fish that's not really enough is it Jesus What are five loaves and two fish in the face of so great a crowd of need? We know about this strategy when it comes to dealing with Jesus. We are also constantly confronted with a world that just keeps presenting us with a crowd of needs. Every day, our newspaper reminds us of the crowds in the Ukraine who are struggling under an ongoing military invasion, of the crowds in Pakistan that are struggling to survive deep, deep flooding, destroying towns and people's lives of the crowds in Florida that are still struggling to recover from the homelessness and from the loss of lives after the last hurricane. Your papers will remind you of the crowds in your own city of Dallas that are struggling under poverty and violence and so many reasons for despair. And when you put down the newspaper you can almost hear Jesus say to you, you give them something. And we want to respond by saying, Jesus, really, these are huge, systemic, complex, social problems. I'm just one of your average disciples. I've got nothing special going here. I've just got a little education, a few skills, a little money, and a lot of anxiety. I've just got five loaves and two fish. Our sociologists are frequently commenting today on what they refer to as compassion fatigue. What they mean by this is that we live in a day in which the world's problems are constantly confronting us because of advances in technology. And as a result of that, we are overwhelmed by the needs in the world all the time. And the more you pay attention, the more overwhelming it gets. And so we are tempted to lament if I see one more photo of a starving child. If one more person tells me what I've got to give or ought to do, I'm just going to scream. I can't fix the broken world. I can't even fix my own family. I've just got five loaves and two fish. It is enough. As our text ends, it is more than enough. Because Jesus says, bring them to me. This is the turning point of the gospel in the whole text. Jesus says, bring them to me. Bring me your five loaves and your two fish. Bring me your arguments about how limited you are. Bring me your own broken life and your grief and your fatigue and your exhaustion. Bring it to me. And then in Jesus' hands, the miracle can begin to unfold. Jesus has never asked us to fix the broken world. That's a Messiah's job. Our calling is to bring what we are holding as an excuse for inaction to Jesus. And then he takes it and he blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it back to the disciples to distribute to the people. I imagine as they start to distribute these broken pieces of bread and fish, they're thinking this is never gonna make it in spite of all of this need. But they just kept passing it out, and the people just kept taking and receiving. And we're told that everybody had their fill. And there were 12 baskets left over. There was actually an abundance at the end. It's always been striking to me that in this story, Jesus gives the broken bread and fish back to the disciples to distribute. Why didn't he just... um, feed them himself, like he healed so many people by himself. Why does he actually make the disciples the agents of this unfolding miracle? I think it's because he wants them to discover the miraculous joy of being a giver, a giver. Jesus is constantly trying to press the conversion of his disciples. And here what he's trying to do is to convert them from a focus on complaint about their limitations to the blessedness of being a giver. In his wonderful book, Life of the Beloved, which is to some degree guiding your um, journey through this series of belonging. Henry Nowen writes that one of our most deep yearnings is to give ourselves to others. I think he's right about that. Has it not always been more fulfilling to give than to receive? Is this not actually the legacy that all of us want for our lives to be known as givers? People who, even through their brokenness, just kept being a blessing. Like your pastors and our line of work, I I find that I get to a lot of funerals. And I can tell you pretty much what's gonna happen at your funeral. I know how it's gonna go. (laughs) We'll gather here, maybe even in this sanctuary. The pastor will have prepared a homily, the liturgy will be elegant and beautiful, The music will be inspiring, and at some point in the service, a couple of people are gonna come to the microphone to give a eulogy or a remembrance about you. And I can tell you what they're gonna say. Hopefully. (laughs) Or at least I can tell you what they're not gonna say no one is going to stand up to read your resume because then nobody cares. They're not even going to talk about what you achieved by your own hands or certainly not what you took from life. What you hope they're going to say is that this person used their life to be a giver. That's what you hope. It doesn't get better than that. For someone to say that even through the losses of their own life, even through the places in which they were broken, they used that to be made more tender to be a giver. And I'm a blessed person because I knew that person. That person's fleeting years made a world of difference to me. That's what we hope. As and continues to write, he says, what the people around you are really looking for is not the things that you are holding. What they're looking for is you. And when they have you, when they have received your heart, the bread and the fish always follow easily. And the most miraculous ways needs began to be met but not until we give, not just what we hold, but ourselves. This is is what it actually means to be Christian or Christian. One who lives in Christ. This one who came not just to give us bread and fish, not just to heal us, not even just to cast out our demons, but who came through all of that to give us God. That's what's at the core of the story of Jesus. That's what he was trying to give all along. And on the cross, that's exactly what he was dying to give us. God with us. And to live in him. As the Spirit invites you to do. To be caught up in this life of the beloved. Is to realize this is the true mission of your life too. To be known as One who is given by God. In the second century, one of our early church fathers named Irenaeus developed one of our first theologies of the Trinity when he said that the true nature of God is revealed in the story of the father of the prodigal who went running down the road when he saw his son starting to return home with outstretched arms. And Irenaeus says one of those arms is the Holy Spirit and the other arm is the Son, which proceed from the Father. And with the Spirit and the Son, the Father grasps us and pulls us to his heart with both hands giving us all that he has to give with spirit and son to bring us home to God. Both hands. When I was in graduate school, for one of the years I was there, we had a exchange student come and study with us from Seoul, Korea. He was in a couple of my seminars that year, and we all uh, came to love him. These seminars were filled with small, uh, filled by a small number of students, so we got to know him well. And anytime there was an American holiday, he made sure that he showed up with presents for other people in the seminars. Um, even like things like Flag Day. Um, and we didn't actually point out that we don't really exchange presents for Flag Day <laughs> <laughs> because we were getting presents. So, But every holiday, he made a point of showing up with little presents. He would walk around the seminar table and pass them out to each person. And they were always small things because he was as poor as the rest of us. But even if it was something like origami that he'd stayed up making for us the night before we noticed that he always used two hands to pass it out. He would go from person to person, he'd pull it in a bag, he would take it to the next one, and no matter how light or insignificant it seemed, he would hand it to us with two hands. Or even if it was one handed because he had to reach, he would put the other hand on his arm as if to symbolize two hands. After the third or fourth time of this, we finally said, why, why do you always use two hands? to give. And he shrugged and he said, you know, I don't even think about it anymore. It's just it's the custom of our people. He says, I, I think it means that with this gift, I'm symbolically giving you all of me. Well, there it is. Two-handed giving. Irenaeus' point is that when the Father gives us the Spirit and the Son, God is giving us All of God. God is giving us God. This is what the Apostle Paul is after in the first chapter of Ephesians when he says that in giving us the Spirit and the Son, God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what you have received from God. Not just some bread and fish. You have received everything. Every spiritual blessing, everything that God has to give, God has held back nothing. God has given you with both hands, spirit and son, because it's how we have fellowship with God. It's how we are brought home to the heart of God, our true home, the place where we have always belonged. When I hear about a need in the world, most of my giving is one-handed. I hear there's some pressing need and I think, well, let's see, I've got five loaves and two fish. Yeah, you can have one of the loaves because I still got four and all these fish, I'll be fine. That's not how God gives. God has given us all that heaven has to offer. And restoring us to communion with God. And to be caught up with this. Again, as the Spirit and adopts us, engrafts us into the Son's own relationship with the Father, making you the beloved daughter, the beloved Son of God as well. You realize that this is your true mission. Not just to try to figure out how you're going to make these limited resources go around but to become a two-handed giver to give of yourself. And if the world has your heart, the resources will find their way. They always do. But not until the heart leads. You know, to this day, there's still a kind of a tired old debate about whether Jesus actually performed this miracle with five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people, or whether once Jesus just began to distribute these limited resources, that all the people out there who had been hiding their own loaves of bread in their cloaks felt bad about their stinginess and started to pass it around, and that's how everybody got fed. Yeah, well, maybe. Maybe. I actually believe Jesus performed the miracle because that's what the text says. But frankly, that's easy to believe. What's hard is not just to believe that it did happen, but to believe that it does happen. Will Jesus take what you are holding as limited as it is, and use it to truly make a difference for the hungry crowd around you? Well, that would take a miracle. Yes, but that's, that's a Savior's worry. Your call is just to bring it to Jesus, to invest in hope, And to allow him then along the way to transform you and your life into the legacy of being a giver. And maybe that's the real miracle that Jesus was after all along.